Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your humble host, Mr. Jason Rudy from Sacramento, California-based Desperate Visions Productions. And right now, I've been doing a little bit of everything, uh, working two jobs and doing a lot of painting, uh, doing some sound editing on the two films that I'm in post-production on after taking a little holiday break there. And uh, let's see what else we got. Oh, yeah, also, too, opened up a store on Redbubble that uh, took some of my Franco paintings I've been doing of Lena and other things and some other stuff and been uploading that and got those on um, T-shirts and posters and water bottles and all that stuff. So, yeah, if you uh, go to the Franco Observer page on either Facebook or um, Instagram, you'll see that there. Or look up uh, Visions Jason on Redbubble and uh, look up the Lena stuff and you'll find my work. So, all right. So today we are here for Mr. Jess Franco and for episode 76, film number 11. Uh, and one of the best ones he's ever done. The Diabolical, Dr. Z. Uh, this is out of Spain and France, 1965. Original theatrical title in country of origin, Miss Morete, Miss Morete, Miss Death. Dans les griffes de la Manique, the French title, in the grip of the maniac. Alternative titles, uh, French alternative title, Le Dibalique, Dr. Z, Dr. Z. Uh, Mexico theatrical title, Il Diabolico, Dr. Z. Uh, Belgian, in the grip of the maniac, in the grip van der Manik. Uh, German theatrical, the secret of Dr. Z, das Geimenheis des Dr. Z. Uh, Spain shooting title, el Dr. Z un Miss Morete. And the BBFC admission sheet advertised it as Dr. Z and Miss Death. So very interesting titles there. They're all great. Diabolical Dr. Z is a very, you know, of its time, 60s deal. Uh, Live Diabolique, you know, Diabolical, the Live Diabolique film that had been out by that time already. So yeah, all these titles are really cool. Uh, Diabolical Dr. Z and uh, Grip the Maniac and, you know, Secret Dr. Z and Dr. Z and Miss Death, which is pretty straight ahead, but it it's, it's good. It's almost like a kind of a scary Batman and Robin or something. All right. So uh, let's see. Production companies. Hemisphere. Or let's see. No, actually, it's not Hemisphere Films. That's a different, different deal. <laughs> uh, Hesperia Films out of Madrid. And then uh, Spevia Films out of Paris. And Scene Alliance out of Paris. Uh, theatrical distributors. Uh, Mercurio Films out of Madrid. France, it was uh, Mondial Films. Uh, U.S., out of Hollywood, presented by Joe Solomon, was U.S. Films Incorporated. Well, that must have been a really low budget. And then out of the U.K., uh, D.U.K. Films, out of U.K. All right. Never heard of U.S. Films Incorporated or D.U.K. Films. That's interesting. All right. Um timeline on this shooting dates is he knocked this out in May to June of 1965 
This is what he's doing is jamming, which is really good. He's starting to learn the techniques and starting to turn out films pretty quick. Uh, still, that's long for him, but later on in life. But yeah, definitely quick here. So it's always good to see. Uh, classified for Spanish release, uh, January 8th, Elvis's birthday, and my dad's, uh, 1966. And uh, let's see, Madrid premiere. Played uh, August 15th of 1966. So yeah, classified Madrid there. Interesting. Uh, okay, and then played Barcelona November 14th of 1966. And then uh, finally played the United States in Los Angeles, California. Home of the Doors. Interesting. It's cool. So uh, I watched this actually in Los Angeles for the first time just recently uh, with a friend. And uh, here it is playing in the USA in Los Angeles. February 15th. Wow, pretty close to the date I watched it too. Uh, actually about two weeks short of uh, 1967. Okay, and uh, UK... Actually, that's cool. Played a day after Valentine's Day. It's a nice Valentine's Day movie to take your sweetie to. Uh, okay, UK uh, X certificate was issued on March 23rd of 1967. Then played Seville July 24th of 67. France September 13th of 1967. And finally, Belgium January 30th, 1969. Once again... Uh, before I go any further, we get all information out of Murderous Passions, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 1, by Mr. Stephen Thrower with Julien Grangier. Uh, and I don't give the other co-writer enough credit. All right, uh, theatrical running time, Spain, 86 minutes, France, 88 minutes, United States of America, 86 minutes, and finally, UK, 78 minutes, 26 seconds. Starring cast Mabel Kerr as Irene as Irma Zimmer, great actress, great role. Uh, Stel Blaine, Nadia Miss Murete, Miss Death, very good in this part. Uh, Fernando Montes as Dr. Philip Brighthouse, it's okay. Howard Vernon as uh, Professor Vicus, very good role actually for Howard Vernon. It's one of those ones where it's in between in Howard Vernon in the Franco universe, he's either a lead or he's just barely in it. And he's always good, but sometimes he's kind of wasted and stuff. This is one of those films where he's not the lead, but he's in it quite a bit, but then he's not in it. And he's kind of a red herring, but uh, he's really good. Uh, and he's cool in this. And it's kind of a different role for him, which is really nice, uh, as Professor Vicus. Uh, Guy Maris plays Hans Bergen, the escaped killer. He's good in this. Uh, Marcello Arotti Jaguel plays Dr. Moroni. The ones that get killed, Antonio Escribano, Dr. Zimmer, Chris Huerta is Dr. Coleman. Uh, Dr. Coleman uses that name later, and Zimmer as well. Um, Angela Tamayo, June von Bakken, Hitchhiker, very cool in this part. Uh, Mercasas, Sandra Moroni, Lucia Prado, Barbara, Alberto Bourbon is the dark-haired policeman at Lakeside. Uncredited, Daniel White is in here. The music man, Mr. Composer, Daniel White, is cool as Inspector Green. And you have the two brains of the film are Daniel White and Jess Franco, who plays another inspector, Inspector Tanner. So you have Inspector Tanner and Inspector Green. Uh, Vinci Roquez, the police doctor. And let's see. Uh, okay, good. Credits, director, Jess Franco, original story, and David Kuhn, which, of course, is Jess Franco. Uh, he's credited as original story, David Kuhn, adaptation and dialogue. Jean-Claude Carey, Director of Photography, Alejandro Olona, Editors, Haifiet, 
Jean, sorry, Jean Fiette and Marie-Louise Barret for the French Prince. Um, music, Daniel White. Um, let's see who else we want to give credits to here. Um, uncredited Spanish producer, Carlos Corret. All right. Production notes. In the spring of 1965, Franco signed a four-picture deal with producer Carlos Corret of Madrid-based Hesperia Films that would keep him busy on and off for the next 18 months. First, he rewrote the script for La Morete Silbe and Blues, Death Whistles the Blues, uh, shot in April-May of 1965 as 077 Mission Lisboa, a.k.a. Espionage in Lisbon, on Portugal and Madrid locations by Spanish-based Argentino Immigre Tuli de Michele. Almost simultaneously in early May, he started work on Miss Morete, a.k.a. Diabolical Dr. Z, filming until mid-June, and by mid-October, Cartes Boca Arriba, Attack of the Robots, that uh, was in production on location in southern Spain. Producer Curiet must have been pleased with the collaboration because the following July and August found Franco shooting Golden Horn for Hesperia in the high summer heat of Turkey, Spain, and Bulgaria. Corette would step in once again alongside Commonwealth United, Alexander Hakoen's Sinoproduzioni Associates and Corona of Germany in 1968 to provide completion funds for 99 women and Venus in Furs. Perhaps Franco found time to visit the Portuguese locations for espionage in Lisbon, or maybe Corriette reported back to him the delights of the location filming. Either way, Franco would soon make his first trip to Portugal as a filmmaker to shoot Succubus in 1967. Okay, so that's interesting. So this film, Espionage in Lisbon, when I first read this, I kind of didn't understand it. So yeah, he basically rewrote Death Whistles the Blues and for, for the company, and then another person made that film, the remake, as 077 Mission Lisboa, Espionage in Lisbon, um, for Tulio Di Michelli. Okay, so yeah, I'll have to watch that sometime. I'm curious how another person tackles Jess Franco's work. Um, okay. During this time, Franco struck up a cordial relationship with noted screenwriter Jean-Claude Carry, a friendship which grew into a script collaboration on The Diabolical Dr. Z and Attack of the Robots. Uh, Carry had recently scripted Louis Bonnell's Diary of a Chambermaid, 1964. Franco and Carey were introduced to each other by Bonnell's producers on that film, Serge Siberman and Mikhail Safra. A press announcement on May 29, 1965, declared that the film, then called Dr. Z and Miss Death, was about to begin shooting and would be a new version of Stevenson's famous novel Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, adding that the invocation of this new Spanish version will be that the protagonist is a woman instead of a man. The transformation of the character will not be physical, as in Stevenson's novel, but only mental and moral. At this point, production was probably already underway, because in one scene we see Daniel White playing a police inspector, brandishing a crisp, neat copy of the Daily Mail, 
the headline of which refers to a mining accident that occurred on May 17, 1965. The diabolical Dr. Z opened on Madrid on August 15, 1966. All right, review by Stephen Thrower. Uh, Franco's finest work in black and white and one of his best films overall. The Diabolical Dr. Z is a fantastically atmospheric, skillfully woven tale comparable in style and expertise to the work of Italy's Mario Bava. As with Bava, there's not a lot going on under the surface, but what a surface. Added by Alejandro Ulola's marvelous photography and a budget that allows for seductive tracking shots and careful lighting. Franco Soutures this horror hokum into a truly lustrous package. There's genuine suspense here, too. In Franco's later horror movies, dead, dread and anticipation are etiolated into abstraction, so it's striking to see the liniments of tension and release laid out here as nail-bitingly as one could wish. Like many of Franco's 1960 films, Dr. Z proves that the missing elements in his later work, like suspense or classical narrative, are willful or contingent subtractions, and not, as is often surmised, simply beyond his ability. The diabolical Dr. Z is distinguished by a persistent strain of moral ambivalence, conjuring every major characterization in the film. The intent of the titular Dr. Zimmer to drain evil from the minds of criminals, leaving them compliant and without self-will, is thoroughly immoral, although he claims a benevolent motive. All the killers, all the abnormal, all the sadists, all the maniacs could be transmuted into wise and good persons, and they would have a chance to begin a normal life. His malevolent daughter, Arena, expresses no such concern for society's outcasts, and after Zimmer dies of a heart attack, she sees nothing wrong with subjugating the impressionable vegetables his methods create. However, she is clearly unbalanced by grief for her beloved father. Besides, the victims are scarcely innocents. The first of them, Bergen, is an escaped maniac who has already killed four people. Fling the hangman's noose, he falls instead into the clutches of the demon doctor. The three scientists who hound Zimmer death, Kalman, Moroni, and Vicus, may be right to reject the fascism inherent in his work, but they're also tiresome, arrogant blowhards. You can't help but feel sorry for Zimmer as he suffers a fatal heart attack during a particularly crushing bout of peer review. One of the delicious ironies in the film is that even the strange and voluptuous myths death is far from the uncomplicated agent of darkness we might suppose. Though deadly with long, sharp fingernails dipped in courier, she's merely the instrument of another's will. Therefore we care for poor Nadia even as she stalks and kills. She's just a sweet, naive girl tempted by the promise of Hollywood fame and fortune. The real Miss Death is the intellectual Irma, coldly manipulating Nadia to do her bidding. Then there's Felipe, Nadia's supposedly concerned boyfriend, who, hedging his bets somewhat, simultaneously tries his luck with the villainess. He's at pains to assure Irma 
that he disagrees with those who scorned Dr. Zimmer, which makes him either a romantic opportunist hoping to integrate himself with a recently bereaved woman or some kind of proto-fascist. The undercutting of character is followed through even with minor figures like the hitchhiker. Irma picks up, who lets slip that she always finds a sucker on the way. Death may seem a steep price to pay for such a minor transgressive of manners, but this technique is giving the villain their reasons and the victims their provoking flaws, resulting in a compelling, if rather cold, film in which there are few straightforward, likable characters. The reviewer, I'm sorry, the viewer is positioned as an as a observer of foibles, a witness to crimes and transgressions while the easy pleasure of audience identification is diverted. It's a technique that would carry many a director brownie points for alienation effect, so it's credit to Franco that he keeps the wheels of pulp horror turning even as the film employs strategies more commonly associated with art cinema. All right, so uh, let's see. I'm not going to go into a lot. He actually writes quite a bit on this. Um, uh, it talks about the parts with, I don't even to go into because you kind of want to see it to see, but uh, the scene with the car in the river is uh, kind of Alfred Hitchcock style, which I caught that when I first watched it as well, um, and all that through. So um, it says, finally, there's the surgical scene in which Irma operates on her own horribly burned face using a mirror and scalpel, slicing her cheek and lifting a flap of scar tissue as blood trickles from the wound. It's grotesque, it's disgusting, it's gratuitous, and, need I add, quite wonderful. It's the sort of thing Franco no doubt wanted to do in the awful Dr. Orloff, uh, but for some reason couldn't or wouldn't. Four years later, he's feeling bolder, times have changed, and he's going for the money shot. And while Franco cannot always be relied upon gory delights, this was strong stuff indeed for the time. The diabolical the diabolical Dr. Z arcs back and forth between broad brushstrokes and a layered sense of irony. As a story, it may have little to say, but its construction, appearance, and use of character, it reveals the hand of an estate. So many trashy horror films have set out their commercial wares in the mad doctor subgenre. Very few reveal such a stylish and seductive watermark when you hold them up to the light. All right, Franco on screen. For the first time, Jess Franco steps out from behind a musical instrument and plays a significant character, Inspector Tanner, brought in from Scotland Yards while suffering from sleeplessness due to the recent arrival of triplets. Policemen always had these little quirks in the Euro thrillers of the 1960s and 70s. He banters about with fellow police detectives and curiously, given Franco's general immoral screen appearances later on, brings an end to the villainous plans with his gun. All right. Uh, cast and crew. Estella Blaine, uh, a.k.a. Miss Death, was born Micheline Lestelat on March 30th of 1930 in Ile-de-France, Paris. Tragically, after her film career stalled during the 1970s, she went through periods of severe depression, holding on long enough to help her son, Mikhail, to establish himself in the film industry. Estella killed herself with a gunshot to the head on January 1st, 1982. Argentinian actress, sorry, Argentinian actress Mabel 
Carr, the wicked Irma, was born four years earlier than Blaine on October 7th, 1934. All right. And made very few films in fantastique or exploitation genres. She appeared in uh, Sergio Leone's The Colossal of Rhodes. Uh, she's in the Western Cutthroats 9, and she's also in uh, Killer Tongue, 1996. Wow. But apart from these, she preferred comedies and dramas. Uh, Co-writer Jean-Claude Carrier started his film career as the associate of the French buster Keaton, uh, Pierre Estrax, working on his Oscar-winning short, The Anniversary, and featuring later, um, 64, he wrote for Louis Bonnell's Diary of Chambermaid... And six script assignments for the Surrealist Master, others being Belle de Jour, The Milky Way, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeois, uh, Phantom of Liberty, and That Obscure Object of Desire. And those are from 67 to 77. Um, wow, six films in 10 years, nice. Uh, his writing career has seen him work with a dazzling array of art house big names, including Louis Mallet, Jacques Deray, Marco Ferrari, Volker. Schondorf, and Franco's favorite, Jean-Luc Godard. Music. Uh, Daniel White gives Franco one of his very best scores, based around a mournful and oddly disturbing melody for a trumpet and harpsichord. As in the awful Dr. Orloff and Dr. Orloff's monster, there's quite a bit of rummaging around inside pianos with strumming and scraping of the strings and much gleeful chaos. Elsewhere, we get xylophone, wordless female vocals, church organ, and sundry percussive clanging and unsettling and enthralling sound adventure that really ought to go beyond vinyl by now. Uh, White also plays Inspector Green, psychic to Franco's Inspector Tanner. Um, location. The locations where Franco shot the film are hard to pinpoint, and it's just as difficult to say where it's supposed to be set diagetically. Uh, in the English version, Franco and Daniel White play two Scotland Yard detectives. The police at the scene of the crime, however, are dubbed with American accents. In the French version, Franco and White are still from Scotland Yards, but the rest are the cops are French. Uh, the noted, the notice advertising Miss Death stage show is in German, as is the sign for the tavern, so we are evidently supposed to be somewhere in either Germany, Switzerland, or Austria. But where? And what are the Scotland Yard... <clears throat> and what... And what are Scotland Yard, the French and Americans, doing there? The name played outside Zimmer's residence says he's a professor of the University of Breslin, but is that Breslau as in Rorclaw, the Polish town, or Breslau, the German exonym for the parish of Breslava in Lativia? Zimmer's country residence is in Hartog, the same fictional town mentioned in the awful Dr. Orloff. Two different number plates on cars featured in the story give us possible locations of Holzminden in Lower Saxony. But after killing Vicus, Nadia disembarks from the train at Singen, a town near the German-Swiss border hundreds of miles away. Once again, we're a pan-European netherworld of Franco's devising where nationalities are nebulous and cops from one country casually investigate crimes in another. Uh, let's see. Connections. The diabolical Dr. Z revisits the mind control theme of Dr. Orloff's monster while tidying up its plot and swapping the gender of the killer, thus providing a template to which Franco would return again and again 
over the next 30 years. She killed in ecstasy, Nightmares Come at Night, Shining Six, uh, Voodoo Passion, Mio Sexo Tini La Noche, was it Night of a Million? And so Linda Terra, Night of Terror. Uh, Dr. Orloff himself is mentioned by name despite not featuring in the story in person, contributing to a network of traces and connections that will proliferate between many of Franco's future films. The method is strikingly similar to that employed by the American writer H.P. Lovecraft, a sea succubus. Uh, with his unusual dark glasses, wheelchair, and hunched spider-like body language, Dr. Zimmer is reminiscent of his eponymous Dr. Strangelove, another fascist who believes that his extreme methods are for the greater good when, in fact, they're, slightly, they're simply manifestations of an immoral will to power. And there's another Kubrickian connection. Uh, Zimmer's stated aim suggests that Franco and Carrieri were fond of Anthony Burgess's 1962 novel A Clockwork Orange, of course, which Kubrick filmed six years later. Interesting, yeah, similar. The mind control theme. Uh, when Irma Zimmer lures Nadia to phony address before abducting her, a plate on the wall outside the offices announces M. Safra, a reference to the film's co-producer. Nice. Uh, the theme's of facial surgery will reach its Hypothesis in the grisly horrors of Faceless, 1987, the culmination of Franco's Orloffian saga and the last two films to feature the character. Um, other versions, although there appears to be an, no alternative edits of the film, uh, except the original Spanish version of Miss Morete, which shies away from showing her facial surgery. There's at least one difference in the dialogue in the Spanish and French versions. Um, she's talking about a mysterious person called Bresson and informs her that a condemned man has escaped. The combination of the name and statement suggests that French director Robert Bresson and finely tuned masterpiece, A Man Escaped. On a related note, a the man escaped is called Hans Bergen. There was, in fact, a real Hans Bergen, a heavily decorated German soldier of the Nazi party, who was captured by the Allies but released from prison in 1947. Uh, Problematic. Uh, let's see. Cast credits. Press coverage. Oh, yeah. Okay. Although listed in many sources, actors Jose Marie Prada and Alberto de Bales do not, in fact, appear in the film. Similarly, some sources credit the actress Anna Castor. However, Castor, who was to play Irma Zimmer, was dropped shortly before shooting commenced because she refused to appear in the second half of the film with burn makeup on her face, Franco told Alain Petit. I replaced her with Mabel Carr. I have nothing to complain about because Carr emanates a disturbing eroticism that now seems perfect or preferable to Anna Castor. English language prints incorrectly credit production manager Henry Baum as director. All right, so that's a good wrap up of that. Um, cool. All right, so. All right, so yeah, uh, hit that really quick again. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can find us at FrancoObserver at yahoo.com. Uh, please download the episodes. Please share. Please subscribe. Please rate episodes on your favorite listening platform. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Check us on Redbubble 
under Visions Jason, and uh, you can see the Franco artwork uh, stuff I have up for sale on there, and all that good stuff. So, all right, uh, hang out and listen to the bumper music, and I'll give you my review of Diabolical Doctor Z. But uh, if you listen to the beginning of this episode, you'll know that I like it. So, uh, but yeah, and uh, I'll tell you all the stuff and what I found on the list and all that good stuff. So, um, all right, hang out, and I will see you on the other side. What is not just. Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy of Desperate Visions Productions, and I come to you today on this Episode 76, film number 11, The Diabolical Dr. Z. Um, I'm the reviewer today on it. Uh, I watched this while I went on vacation down to the beautiful uh, City of Angels, Los Angeles, California, home of the doors. And uh, while down there, I uh, watched. I went down there for a uh, wrestling event, uh, Pro Wrestling Gorillas Battle of Los Angeles. And uh, while down there, I uh, watched the Diabolical Dr. Z on Blu-ray at uh, my dear, close, personal friend Christine's house. And uh, she really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed it. But unfortunately, she is um, microphone shy, so she uh, didn't want to do the review. So, no worries. Uh, But uh, yeah, that was her first Franco film, and she positively loved it. And uh, I thought that it's a good film to show a new Franco observer uh so uh yeah if you're a franco fan and you have friends that maybe are curious about just franco i think the diabolical dr z is a good choice to start them on their franco path and uh let's see how far they go because uh yeah it's really good uh we watched the uh redemption blu-ray of it um and uh, that's a good copy and uh it, uh, the look of it still looks very modern today, which I must say. So, All right, we're going to go through like we usually do, uh, go through the synopsis, and I'll give you my review of it, and we'll go through the Franco Observer handy checklist and see what of the usual 25, 26 objects made it into this film. So, All right, here we go. Uh, let's see. Synopsis. Hans Bergen, the Woodside Strangler, escapes from prison and collapses at the gates of a clinic run by Dr. Zimmer. Zimmer, accompanied by his daughter Irma and lab assistant Barbara, realizes that the man is a criminal and subjects him to his latest innovation, a brain-drilling device that removes the impulse to commit evil and places the recipient in a trance-like state of obedience. At a medical conference later that month, Zimmerman tries to impress his peers with his discoveries, avoiding mention of his recent human experiment, but seeking their approval for the future use of human subjects. Instead, he is so aggressively berated by the other psychologists that he suffers a fatal heart attack. Irma, consumed by hatred, embarks on a campaign of revenge against the three doctors she holds most responsible for her father's death, Maroni, Vickis, and Kalman. In furtherance of her plan, she kidnaps a young nightclub performer, 
the sultry Miss Death, real name Nadia, and subjects her to the Zimmer mind control process. Thus reduced to a slave, obeying Irma's wishes, Miss Death tracks down and kills the three doctors using her unusually long fingernails dipped in poison. Meanwhile, Nadia's boyfriend flirts with Irma whilst trying to get to the bottom of his girlfriend's disappearance. With the help of the Spanish police and two visiting detectives from Scotland Yard. Yeah, so, um, as always, we get those words from Murderous Passions, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 1, by Stephen Thrower. And, um, this film is, um, a film that he copies later on many times over and uh for me when i was watching it um i immediately caught uh she killed an ecstasy which is uh one of my favorite films and the basis of uh film i'm presently working on a post-production lady hide and um uses that same deal you know the kind of vigilante film um and, uh, yeah, so and he, he said they, uh, right here that um, they use that process again. And, of course, she killed an ecstasy, Nightmares Come at Night, uh, Shining Sex, Voodoo Passion, um, Night of Terror, and uh, Sexos Tina de Noche, that one as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a it's a uh, one of his prototype, um, let's see, what's the right word, script device or like a script framework that he reuses over and over on those films, which he has that with Vampiros Lesbos and um, other films too, Dr. Orloff's Monster and, and some of those basics that he always changes over. All right, excuse me for one second. All right. So, um, yeah, um, I really like this film. Everything's really good about it. Um, this around this period of his time, he's uh, still really professional and putting out really quality productions with lighting and camera work and uh, all the accessories and that. But you start seeing his style uh, really start blooming during this period in these films, and uh, there's a really a lot of good stuff on this. Um, uh, let's see, what, what do I want to say about it? Um, in the beginning, we kind of go through a lot of the stuff Stephen Thrower points out, so I'm kind of not going to go over that as well. But um, there's some cool things I thought about it. Um, it's funny, the lead that is uh, the guy that's investigating everything, he looks like he's kind of like a poor man's Sean Connery. And uh, the uh, Woodside Strangler kind of looks like a poor man's Daniel Craig. And they have a fight scene later, so it's like the two James Bonds going at it. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, the guy that plays Lady Death or Miss Death is really awesome and it's cool because uh, that's the nudity in the film basically is her spider outfit, uh, which is pretty awesome. And uh, she, she's a really good figure. It's like um, kind of like a Frankenstein and a bride of Frankenstein basically is the couple. And uh, so I thought that was kind of a cool touch with everything. Um, the Dr. Z character, of course, Dr. Zimmer is great, um, very uh, Dr. Strangelove-ish, and uh, the scene with him going before the board and uh, seeing everybody is pretty amazing. And let's see. Um, yeah, there's a really the, the sequence, too, where Lady Death's chasing that guy through the foggy streets, one of the doctors. 
before capturing him and killing him is pretty amazing as well. Very gothic. Um, the dance scene with her Lady Death and uh, the mannequin with the eyes that move suddenly through the ink cut is pretty mesmerizing on the floor. And uh, while showing it to my friend Christine, describing the scene where she's kind of crawling on the spider web and the, and the thing, I basically told her the concept of how Franco always has really unusual strip club sequences where he almost takes the concept of the person just disrobing for a sexual titillation and changes it to a different concept where it almost some amplifies the sex, some takes away the sex and changes it to another tangent of some other uh, unrecognizable force or something that you see and observe from a different way. So he almost deconstructs it and constructs it into a different process with the different films, uh, with Vampiros Lesbos and this, and Nightmares Come at Night, where the lady looks very uninterested. And there's just a lot of cool different styles he does with each one. And this one is almost the one that probably introduces that concept and takes it and changes it to, a, to an actual show and a, and a process, something totally different. So I thought that was really great. Um, the scene where... Uh, uh, the doctor's daughter picks up the hitchhiker, kind of remind me of um, the movie Fingered years later um, that uh, Richard Kern did. Some of the shots from the back seat with the the two women up front was pretty great. Um, the scene where she gets burned was he put the car in the river is very Hitchcockian. Um, the scarring I thought was really great. Um, yeah, she's she's great um, in this this film. Um, the gal um, is Irma, I believe her name is. Yeah, Irma. Yeah, Irma. The, the actress plays Irma is really fantastic. She's uh, definitely one very strong actress in this, and uh, very believable in the part, and probably one of my favorite parts of the film. Um, so yeah, let's go over and hit the Franco checklist and see what comes up on this. All right, uh, number one, Body of Water. Yeah, we have Body of Water with the fisherman sequence, and uh, of course with fishermen, you also have boats. So we have boats and Body of Water. Uh, sailboats, I didn't catch, so, but we did have boats. Uh, four palm trees, yes, I caught palm, or maybe I didn't. Yeah, I don't think I caught palm trees in this one. Um, number five, jungle sound effects. Not jungle sound effects, but we have, um, when you see Dr. Z's, uh, lab in the beginning with the different animals, there's a wolf sound that's laid over, that Franco uses in later films, overblown-wise. And this one, you first hear the wolf sound, and there's no wolf in the shot, which was kind of funny. Uh, and there's a few other animal dubbed over voice uh, sound effects as well in the uh, that sequence. Uh, number six, chained up person. Yes, um, when uh, Irma captures or Lady Death captures, they, they tie him up, and uh, not really chain him up, but people are tied up and abducted. Um, and then, of course, they're kind of chained up to the device, basically, when it kind of holds them, the, the two spider claws. And there's always that spider motif in this film as well, the web of which Lady uh, Miss Death crawls onto, the spider on her outfit, and the machine that takes away the, drives the pincers into the neck as the two hands look like spiders, hands kind of holding the person captive on the machine. Um Okay, let's see. Number six, seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Yes, uh, we just talked about um, the Miss Death crawling in that. And not stripping, but she, you could still see her breasts and nipples and everything through the outfit. So that's basically nudity. 
of course it is, but there's none of that. But it's like I said, it's different deconstruction of the stripping sequence. Uh, number eight, club scenes dancing. No, there's people in the club watching her do the performance, but there's no like dance scenes where people are partying in a club or anything like that. So, not that I remember. Uh, let's see. Uh, number nine, jazz music. Yeah, there's some great jazz in this film. Uh, the the uh, Daniel White score is really, really great. So, there's quite a bit of that. Um, let's see. What else did I have? Oh, yeah, jazz. Definitely a lot of jazz in this film. Um, number 10, excessive zooms. Number 11, out of focus shots. Negative on both. Like I said, is very competent at this time. Uh, he wasn't. He's actually using more tracking shots than zooming in and out, so he hadn't reached that deal yet. Um, number 12, mirror shots. Yeah, there's some very beautiful mirror shots in this, uh, like one or two that I, that I really liked that I caught um, that are pretty great. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you have some great mirrors inside uh, Dr. Z's place. Um, and, of course, she writes the names of the doctors on the mirror that she crosses off one by one. Um, which always is a cool touch. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, number 13, mind control theme. Of course, there is a mind control theme. That's what this whole film is about, is mind control. How you take away the person's will or take away the evil out of them, and then they become an obedient slave. So that's what this film is all about, is mind control. And jumping off that concept, while the idea pointed in my head, uh, fear or desire, we like to always bring up from Stephen Thrower's concept as well. What does this film have, fear or desire? I would say, hmm, interesting. Fear or desire. Um, probably desire, because they desire to take away the evil, so they have obedience. Uh, and, of course, they fear the evil, So, but there's almost the same thing, two, edges, two sides of the coin. So, But, yeah, I would say it's probably desire on this one. Uh, okay, back to the list. Number 14, magic tongue scenes. Negative. No magic tongues, because uh, there's no Lena. All right, 15, red light. Not sure, because it's a black and white film, but no instances of seeing a red light turn on or off or nothing like that, or no red lighting. 16, sheepskin rug. No uh, masturbation with a letter C item. A negative. That's for the Dietrich films. Uh, number 17, mad scientists. Well, of course, right, the title, The Diabolical Dr. Z. This is all about a mad scientist and the mad scientist's daughter and assistants and all that. So, yeah, definitely mad scientist film. A plus 100%. Uh, 18, fish tank shots. Didn't catch any fish tank shots in this. Other captured animal shots, you know, the tanks and things that they're in, but no, nothing like that. J or cages and that. Uh, 19, talking parrots. No, just maybe a bird sound, but nothing major. 20 in credits, yes or no, yes, so it's uh, finish or end or whatever. Uh, let's see, number 21, handwritten notes. Well, there's the uh, writing on the mirror, like I had mentioned, uh, with the chalk or whatever it is, and it's crossed off, so that would be the handwritten on this one. Uh, number 22, spiral staircase shot. Yeah, there's an amazing spiral staircase shot, which is pretty much the one that is the uh, Alpha Omega from his spiral staircase shots it's really pretty good if you would base any staircase spiral staircase shots in any of his films you would basically start with this one uh okay let's see uh, what we got here um 23 inept cops yes definitely because 
the you're going off of different things and then finally in the end they come through and then they basically shoot the person the lady without saying stop or anything they just like kill her without saying nothing and so it's yeah pretty bad police work uh even though they think they're like scotland yards and really smart and all that bs uh 14 belly chains negative none of that uh 15 kink list um i don't know i didn't really catch any too much in this one maybe just the uh, master slave maybe or submission or something but yeah nothing like that he's not really hit that territory yet um, but uh, yeah just going over mostly the cool style and, and the allure of death and evil and all that and so that was what he's hitting here okay let me go through my notes um, yeah so uh, David Kuhn of course is mentioned in the beginning uh, so he goes with that credit again one of the many fake aliases and one of the uh, early ones was David Kuhn was his first one so uh, let's see, we have um, uh, Wolf Sound and Cool Credits. You have a very cool credit sequence in this film. I really liked that a lot. Um, oh, yeah, I caught the cameraman reflection car side uh, where she's where she picks up the hitchhiker and that. You see the cameraman's reflection really fast going running across the uh, cars. He's trying to get out of the reflection, so you see that one time. One of the ones to always catch one uh, technical flub in his early films, and that was one. Uh, let's see, you have um, Mirror Shot with Miss Death Captured was really great. Uh, of course, Spiral Staircase Shot. We had um, Franco's The Inspector was really good. And uh, Remember Dr. Zimmerman, uh, The Nept Cops. And yeah, so that was it was a really, really good film. Um, I'd say Dr. Z is definitely a film that has been copied many times. And you see its influence in a lot of other films. And uh yeah, very, very strong film of his. There's a lot of cool shots, a lot of great memorable sequences, uh, great acting, great cinematography, um, good editing, good pacing. Um, what's the running time on this? 87 minutes. Yeah, so it's got a good, good solid time, you know, um, not too long, not too short. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely worth a watch. Uh, Diabolical Dr. Z. You could tell that there's other, I would say Tarantino is probably a fan of this film. You see a little bit of him in it with some of the ideas and the pacing. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely really cool to watch and uh, very memorable. The Miss Death is a very iconic character in horror and uh, especially in the Franco universe. So, yeah, definitely check it out. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just want to say also, too, thank you. We had a record-setting month in the month of January. Uh, our numbers uh, hit an all-time high, pretty much almost double of what the previous high have been so thank you very much we've got some new fans in listening to the podcast and new audience members so uh yeah thank you very much and let's continue to grow the uh franco observer podcast audience and family and friends because that's what we all are we're a family of franco fans the three f's and uh we all respect the maestro and uh dedicate our time to listening to him and watching his films. So, um, yeah, like I say, tell a friend about the films, tell a friend about the website, tell a friend, tell a friend about the podcasts. Um, speaking of which, you can always download the episodes and, uh, subscribe and you'll always have them downloaded every Wednesday morning. Um, when we have them posted every Wednesday morning, there's always a new Franco observer podcast released and set up ready to roll. So that's one thing you will have. So, check them out and now with this being uh, episode 76 you have 75 previous episodes which is over 100 and some hours so definitely enough to listen to and 
dive into if you so inquire. Uh, let's see. Uh, you can get a hold of us if you want to reach us. Uh, anything you can get a hold of us at FrancoObserver at yahoo.com. Send us an email, anything, and uh, I'll get back to you on that. Uh, you can also find our page, the Franco Observer Podcast page, on Facebook or Instagram. We have those with content posted daily, so check it out. And, of course, our um, mission statement in the Franco universe is to spread the films of Franco to new eyes and to new ears. And we try to do that every week here. So we're on our mission for that. Um, yeah, so anyway, thanks again for uh, listening this week. And uh, check out a Franco film. If not Dr. Z, check it out and uh, enjoy it. What is no jizz?